Uh, Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to the book of Leviticus, chapter 20. Leviticus, chapter 20, is where I'd like to direct your attention this morning. So if you would turn there with me, uh, please, that would be excellent. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, you can use the one in the pew ahead of you, uh, and you'll find Leviticus 20 on page... Uh, 119. If you don't have a Bible at all, please feel free to take that one in in the pew. Take it with you as our gift uh, to you. We would love to have you uh, have a copy of God's uh, Word. I don't have to ask you to know that this is true. Uh, Many of you are really looking forward to Thanksgiving, to Thursday and the feast uh, that awaits. This is the World Series of Gastronomic Opportunities. Um, all of your favorites together, right? Turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, squash, sweet potatoes. Some of you are even looking forward to eating green beans. Uh, we start our feasting here, what, on Wednesday night, right? Let the pie begin on Wednesday after our pie and praise service. I, I know that some of you are excited, but because I love you, I want to issue this warning. Remember... There is a tipping point in every meal. Uh, There is a moment when you are at a crossroads where if you make the wrong choice, your joy will turn to sorrow. It, It may come after eating just one more spoonful, but there is a point where your comfort will become pain and your stomach and your pants will protest at what you have eaten. Uh, You know there are limits. You know there are boundaries that you cannot cross. We don't like to talk about it very much. We know that uh, most boundaries, though, are in our place, in place for our own good. Uh, We'd we'd rather talk about freedom. We'd rather talk about doing whatever you want, anytime you want. But the truth of the matter is that real freedom only flourishes in the context of boundaries. Thursday morning, there'll be about a hundred people here to play football, and boundaries will be very important to them on Thursday morning. Uh, there's, there's no physical laws that mandate that a ball must be caught within a certain uh, uh, line. There's no moral principle at stake. But if you want to play the game, if you want to enjoy the game, you have to restrict yourself to the boundaries. <laughs> I think about this sometimes. I sit down to play, uh, let's say, Candyland with my children. There's no universal principle. There's no law in the Bible that says that my characters have to move along the path. There's no, no reason why I must restrict myself, no moral reason why I must restrict myself to moving only those colors and why I must lose a turn if the nasty licorice man makes me lose a turn. There's no reason why my little character cannot fly through space to Candyland to find joy there. But if you want to play the game, you have to live within the boundaries. Uh, There's a passage before us this morning that is supposed to remind Israel of her boundaries. And they're not boundaries that they choose so that they can play a game. These are not goal lines. Uh, They are the boundaries that God Himself has set, that He has woven into creation itself. Following them is necessary for their survival. It's a reflection of their relationship with God. It's to distinguish them from the other nations that surround them. Um, I want to read this passage, but uh, before I do that, I should warn you that this, these are commands that you have heard before, many of them recently. Uh, they address some very specific religious and moral compromises that the Israelites would be tempted to make. 
Uh, we're not going to go into detail again about the, 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 the compromises themselves, but I do want to read the passage before we begin. Let's look here. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Any Israelite or any foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Molech is to be put to death. The, numbers, the members of the community are to stone him. I myself will set my face against him and will cut him off from his people. For by sacrificing his children to Molech, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. If the members of the community close their eyes when that man sacrifices one of his children to Molech, and if they fail to put him to death, I myself will set my face against him and his family, and I will cut them off from their people together with all those who follow him in prostituting themselves to Molech. I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute themselves by following them, and I will cut them off from the people. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Because they have cursed their father or mother, their blood will be on their own head. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to, put, are to be put to death. And what follows in verses 11 through uh, verse uh, 21 are several commands that we have read before from chapter 18 about improper, illicit sexual relations. We're going to pick up reading again in verse 22. Keep all my decrees and laws and follow them so that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. You must not live according to the customs of the nations I'm going to drive out before you because they did all these things. I abhorred them. But I said to you, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. You must therefore make a distinction between clean and unclean animals and between unclean and clean birds. Do not defile yourselves by any animal or bird or anything that moves along the ground. Those that I have set apart as unclean for you. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. A man or woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. Now, did you recognize any parts of the text? You probably did. We have read warnings like this before about offering children to Molech and warnings about cursing your parents. Chapter 18 is a long list of sexual perversions that are also mentioned here. Uh, we have read from Leviticus 11 all these restrictions about clean and unclean animals. And we're all familiar with this call, Be holy because I am holy. How many times is that in the book of Leviticus? Be holy because I am holy. Holy. Now, my question is, as I approach chapter 20, why did God repeat all of these commands? Why are they here again? It's not because God is forgetful that, that He didn't remember that He told us this once. And it's not as if God is a nag either, or because God's trying to cover His own nerves. Do you remember this when your mother dropped you off at camp? She would tell you the same thing 14 times in a row. I got it, Mother. I know. I know where my underwear is. I'll put clean underwear on. I will remember, okay? 
Why does your mother tell you that over again? Because she's nervous for you. She's trying to cover her nervousness. God isn't nervous. But God does know that His people are moving into a hostile territory. The land that He is taking them in is a place of tremendous blessing. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great. But there are dangers there. And and these dangers are similar enough to the ones that we face that I want to think with you about why these warnings are here again. Why does God repeat these things for the people? I think that God wants them to know about these particular religious and moral boundaries for some specific reasons. In fact, I have three of them in mind this morning. Why did God tell these things to the people over and over again? Three reasons. Number one, uh, we need to, they needed to understand that the pressure to conform would be great. The pressure to conform is great. So the Israelites are about to move into a land where all of these things are the norm. Uh, It's hard for us to overestimate the pressure that they would be under to, to practice them or approve of them. The warnings here are to keep them focused. Uh, The passage begins by talking about Molech worship. We don't have this understanding of the gods, but the Israelites did, and the Canaanites did too. Uh, While the Canaanites did, the Israelites were not to have this understanding of God. The ancient peoples believed that the gods ruled over certain areas. There was a god of the plain, and there was a god of the mountains, there was a god of farming, there was a god of... Um, husbandry, there was a god of war, uh, there was a god of the sea, a god of the sky, and, and if you wanted benefits from any of those realms, if you were a farmer, if you were going to war, or if you wanted your um, flocks to reproduce, if you wanted your crops to come in, you had to honor the god who ruled over that particular area. Um, in the book of Judges, perhaps Joshua, there's a reference to this. The Israelites are fighting and they, they lose a battle and, and somebody says, well, it's because that nation's gods, are, they're too strong in the valley. We need to fight them in the mountains where God is stronger. Um, the gods ruled territorially. When Kathy and I moved here from Texas, we soon made our way to PennDOT to transfer our licenses. And while we were standing in line at, the, uh, at PennDOT, None of you have had the experience of having to wait at Penda, but while we were there standing in line, there was a very large sign. It said, um, residents of other states who are transferring their licenses to Pennsylvania may be required to take a, an examination. <laughs> we panicked while we were standing there in line. I immediately thought to myself, when's the last time that I parallel parked and I wonder if I can actually do it? Uh, we were standing there and they had a, a, a rule book, or a, a driver's manual off to the side. We grabbed it and immediately while we were waiting in line started cramming for the test. What if there is some weird rule in Pennsylvania that we don't know about? You know, you can only turn right on red on Tuesdays and Thursdays and every second Saturday. Or what if there's some strange requirement that we don't know that we're going to fail this test? That is going to be embarrassing. Uh, You're in a different state. There's different rules. And the Israelites are moving into Canaan, and the Canaanites would be more than happy to say, look, you're you're in a different territory. There's a different God that you need to honor. Different God who rules. In fact, here, this God is Molech, and you need to honor Molech. If you want your crops to grow, if you want um, your um, 
uh, used to, to give birth. Um, if you want to be successful, if you want to survive, you've got to honor Molech. That's just the way it is. The pressure to conform, it's, it's great. Uh, same thing happens to us. In fact, I think it happens to us in ways that, that we don't even acknowledge or we don't, we don't even know we slip into it so much. Think about, think about what you want for your kids for a minute. How much of what you want for your kids is guided by the American dream? I want my children to grow up and I want them to get a nice education and marry a nice person and get a nice job and own a nice house where they can have a nice television with a nice video screen and they can have nice children and I want them to marry somebody who's local so they'll stick around here so that I can spend my time with my nice grandchildren. Nobody, nobody thinks to themselves, huh, man, I really want my kids to live in Abu Dhabi. I really want my kids to go to India where they're going to have the opportunity to, to share the gospel with an unreached people group. I really want my grandkids to live 2,000 miles away and I want it to cost me thousands of dollars to have to go visit them when I'm going to be able to see them once every four years. I really want my son, if he has the opportunity, I won't complain, I wouldn't choose this for him, but if he has the opportunity to, if, to, to, to serve as someone who rescues some young lady from a really rotten situation, he'll have the opportunity to show her the gospel when he proposes and he serves her in marriage. Nobody thinks that. You, you wouldn't choose that, but, but y'all have in your mind, she better come from a good home. She better be a nice Christian girl. Hope she's a nice Christian girl. So I have nice Christian grandkids and they have a nice Christian lawn and a nice Christian house. You fall into this pattern here, right? This is the pressure to conform. Now, um, it, it comes actually very clearly in this passage. We don't have to, to think very, very much about it. Um, it not, not the issue. We're not, we're not pressured to conform in the issue of uh, uh, Molech worship. But uh, as I have mentioned b- before, the, the pressure comes here to shift our boundaries when it comes to human sexuality. This is the passage here that talks about homosexuality again. Verse 13. Homosexuality is something that you have to accept, right? Approve or welcome. And there are companies, there are photographers, there are bakers, there are bed and breakfast owners who are being told that they have to comply or their uh, business won't survive. This past summer, the New Mexico State Supreme Court said that a local photographer could not refuse to photograph a same-sex wedding ceremony because it was a violation of New Mexico's human rights provisions. And and uh, one of the justices said, I'm sorry, this is just the way it is. You're going to have to violate your convictions if you want to do business in New Mexico. Be prepared. Don't be intimidated, but be prepared. Soon enough, if not already, upholding what the Bible teaches about sexual morality will soon be viewed as dangerous as white supremacy. We are going to be the white supremacists of the next 50 years. Over and over again, hear this. The pressure to conform is great. It's, it's, it's great. Followers of Jesus Christ, and, and Paul tells us this in Romans 12, are, are not those who are conformed to the pattern of this world, but those, we are those who are transformed. 
Paul tells us, I think, in, in elsewhere in his other letters, why this pressure to conform is, is appealing. It's, it's popular, um, and, and we're, we're, we're being called out of the system into which we were born. That's why we want to conform. Let me show you this, what I mean in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's written there on your sheet, I think, these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verses 9 through 11. Paul here is talking to them about their associations. Verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slandered, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. So that's what he's describing as this is the life that you should have left behind or that, that you should not pursue. And then look at chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. One of the reasons that the pressure to conform is so great is Paul is saying, that's where you came from. Don't slip back into that. Be very careful. Leviticus 20 is here to say to the Israelites, don't slip into that. William Struthers writes about this um, in his uh, wonderful book um, called uh, Wired for Intimacy. This is what he says. When I was young, I visited a farm that had an old-fashioned water pump. uh, And it was centered on a cement slab and it would drip long after you stopped pumping. So you know what happened. Uh, Over the years, the dripping water had cut a trough in the edge of the slab. The trough was nearly two inches deep. So it is, he says, with pornography in a man's brain. Because of the way the male brain is wired, it is prone to pick up on sexually relevant cues. These cues trigger a series of neurological, hormonal, and neurochemical events. Memories about how to respond to these cues are set off. As the pattern of this response continues, it deepens the pathway, making it a trough. Each time an unhealthy pattern is repeated, neurological, emotional, and spiritual erosion carves out a channel that will eventually develop into a canyon from which there is no escape. Now he writes in the rest of his book where the escape comes from. But this is the pressure. The pressure to conform is great. It's also incredibly subtle and very gradual. Last week I mentioned that as a a pastor, I don't have the authority to tell you what sort of entertainment you should watch. And I believe that. But here's a, a question to ask yourself. How much of the entertainment you consume celebrates or at least features sexual immorality like this? And to what extent does it bother you, or do you, do you take notice? I can't escape of this. Psalm 15, 4, it's a verse that, that uh, I can't escape of when I think of this issue. Psalm 15, verse 1 says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? And then verse 4 says, The person who despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord. Are the people who entertain you, are they those who honor the Lord? Or are they vile people by the standard of this chapter? 
And the next time you read the book of Proverbs and you find all the things it says about a friend and the person whose counsel you receive, uh, make a note of it and ask how many of the people that you watch on television or on in your favorite movies, how they qualify. Are they the friends that you should be inviting into your life? The pressure to conform, it's, it's, it's tremendous. It's subtle. It's, it's, very, it's very gradual. Here's the second truth, though, that I think the, uh, the Lord wanted them to understand. Uh, second, behavior is always born in belief. Behavior is always born in belief. There is a connection in this passage between worshiping idols and occultic paganism and sexual immorality. They seem to go together. In fact, it's a passage, it's a connection that's made elsewhere in the Bible. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4. That's also a passage that's written down there. Look what it says. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. I wonder if Paul had read Leviticus 20 before he wrote this passage. Um, For our purposes, that key line that I would underline there on that sheet is in verse 5. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. There is a connection between knowing God and between pursuing sexual purity. In Romans chapter 1, it's a rejection of the Creator God that leads to all kinds of sexual immorality among humanity. A a number of years ago, Peter Jones wrote a a helpful book called The God of Sex in which he draws connecting lines between the rise in our culture of paganism and the rise of sexual immorality. There is a distinction between the God of the Bible and the world that He made. There are vertical distinctions and God has made horizontal distinctions between us. And as human beings in paganism reject this vertical distinction and say that God is not distinct from us, but that God is part of us, He's one of us, He's inside of us, He's all of us, uh, we are increasingly rejecting the distinctiveness of male and female. Alan Ross writes this, False religion leads to base living, but pure religion leads to holy living. The beliefs and customs of the world uh, certainly appeal to human nature and may even seem reasonable, but the truth is that God's order for life is better than the pagan customs in every way. It is an order of life that keeps boundaries and makes distinctions for the physical, emotional, and spiritual good of the people. It is a pattern that maintains harmony and does not introduce confusion. It promotes faithful love in the family and not lust. It is life-giving and life-enhancing rather than sterile, self-gratifying, and unnatural. But most important, it establishes a life based on the divine revelation of the sovereign and holy Lord God and not patterned after the spirit of the age or false religious ideas that are forever associated with destruction and death. We believe that human beings are made male and female in God's image and that joining them together in in marriage uniquely honors Him. 
So we celebrate married manhood and married womanhood and single manhood and single womanhood. It's God's good design. And we, we celebrate. It's not just about sex, but it's about the God who made sex. There's a third reason, I think, why this passage repeats some of these earlier warnings. Third, he wants us to, God, God wants us to clearly understand that there are consequences for rejecting his boundaries. There are consequences for rejecting his boundaries. There are a variety of things mentioned in this passage. Uh, for, for sacrificing a child to Molech, uh, the community was to stone you. Why stoning? Oh, Stoning communicates community rejection. Everybody is to pick up a stone and to throw it at you. And by doing that, they are saying, we reject what you have done, all of us. Think about this. What a deterrent this would be if you knew that it was your neighbor or your father or your uncle who had stoned the last person who had offered a sacrifice to Molech. This passage mentions being cut off several times, which indicates God's personal judgment. Verse 14 talks about burning the guilty party. Verse 20 mentions childlessness. Under the old covenant, infertility could be a judgment. It was not always, but it's mentioned here as a possibility. Verses uh, uh, 22 talks about the land vomiting you out. Um, Genesis In Genesis, when, when Abel is killed, what the Bible says that the land cried out. It had soaked up Abel's blood. And the land itself hated what Cain had done. God says, the land you're going to, it's going to spit you out uh, because of engaging in these things. These are serious offenses with with serious consequences. We we don't take them lightly. Now, remember, this book was written to a covenant nation that had a covenant relationship with God. No other nation has this covenant, and we as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not authorized to execute people who are guilty of these crimes. All right? If you think that your neighbor feels a little too strongly about the Philadelphia Eagles and is worshiping them, don't stone him. Okay? Don't do that. Passage does not authorize you to do that. But reading this passage is supposed to be sobering. Look, look at what God demanded of these people if they engaged in this behavior. It's supposed to be sobering and it's supposed to save us actually from self-righteousness. People are very skilled. We can very easily take any part of the Bible and turn it into our, our own self-justification. Think about how you might do this. Let's imagine... Huh, you see somebody downtown, you're walking downtown, and he's, he's evidently inebriated. You walk up to him because you're sober, and you say, don't you know that the Bible says you shouldn't be drunk? And you're a drunkard. Oh, man, you're so much better than that guy, right? And then he turns to you and says, don't you know that the Bible says you're not supposed to judge? Anybody can pick any part of the Bible and find a reason why they are self-justified, why they are righteous. 
This is not a passage that's supposed to make us read this and say, well, I'm clear. <laughs> no children to Molech. I'm pretty good on that one. Uh, I, uh, I'm married and happily so, or I'm single and I'm not engaging in any of these things. I, I'm pretty good. This passage passes me by. I can slide right through it. This passage is supposed to sober you in the sense that we are all recognize, uh, we all are walking on this path. Maybe not in these specific ways, but in, in, in others. This is what we all deserve. The New Testament makes it clear that no one has uh, an excuse. We have more to fear, in fact, the Bible says, than just stoning or burning. Some people inerrantly, uh, erringly think that the Old Testament is, is where the judgment happens. When the New Testament comes, well, things get a little easier and brighter and God's a little bit nicer. He's more compassionate. Actually, in the New Testament, we're not talking about things like stoning and uh, burning in a fire. We're talking about eternal torment. The New Testament does not ump up the ante of kindness and push down God's wrath. In fact, God in the New Testament is both more gracious and more wrath-filled. And, and this passage also points us to the one who was cut off for our sakes. That's what Isaiah 53 says about the Lord Jesus. He was cut off from the land of the living. Why did the Lord Jesus die on the cross? He offered himself on behalf of men and women who burned their children in homage to Molech and for mediums and spiritists. He offered himself as a substitute for adulterers and those who cursed their parents and homosexuals and the impure and those who profane his name and those who think that they're very impressive because they've never done that short list of things. God, notice this here in, in Leviticus 20, God is describing the consequences that his, his own son will bear. Not for his own sins, but for ours. If God the Father wanted to spare the Lord Jesus from the cross, he could have taken Leviticus 20 and whited it out from the story. Eh, it's not that big a deal. But these people stand before a holy God. We read this passage as, as men and women uh, who are not free from temptation or free from guilt. Uh, we're not, we don't read this as, as people who are ready to denounce these sinners. We, we read them as people who stand condemned with them. Those who, through the Lord Jesus Christ, have responded to the invitation to a land that is even better than the one flowing with milk and honey. Be sobered, be very sober at the extent of God's warnings. Be sobered at the specificity of these commands. Beware of the boundaries. But be grateful, be grateful that the warning has been given and the payment for our failure has been made. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come into your presence today and we recognize that we do not have the right to rush in. And, 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 and there are perhaps those of us in this room who read that passage and they, they avoid all the commands. They, they make it through this gauntlet without being touched by anything. Uh, but, but we recognize that... that 
that your word in its fullness is exacting of us. Though, though we may not be ones who have worshipped Molech, we are those who have um, sneered proudly at, at others. There may be men and women in, in this room who have not crossed the line into drunkenness, but we have been proud of that in the face of others who, who have. Uh, we may be those who have, uh, have um, uh, not fallen and, 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 and walked the path of, of homosexuality, but we have made fun of people who, who have. Lord, each of us, rightly and justly, under your word, stand condemned. And you are a holy God, and we are unholy people. Thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus, who himself was cut off from the land of the living for our sake, that we, though we are guilty and justly condemned, might find life and hope through him. Sober us. Sober us when we experience and feel that pressure to conform. Great are your boundaries. Great is your wrath. Great is the grace that you give those who follow hard after you. Help us, we pray in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.